everybody, welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And oh boy, you're in for a treat. I can't wait to introduce you to my friend, Steve Wallenhouse. I met him on LinkedIn and he is a massive influencer among many other things and just a delightful person. So I can't wait to dive into your story, Steve. But as we start every episode, it's always with a heartbeat question. And the question is this, you are getting ready to go someplace exotic with your kids, traveling somewhere around the world. You're going through one of the many airports to get to your destination. Somebody sees you and they start talking about you and not realizing that you can overhear everything that they're saying about you. What would you want somebody to say about you? You know, my preference would be they uh, hopefully pay attention to the things that I'm doing and somehow that's made an impact in their life for somebody they know and has left a lasting impression. And um, that would be the ideal scenario for me, Gary. Well, that, that's a good one. And you are doing that just by the way, as far as I'm concerned, you're doing that in my life. So thank you very much. And Ben, let's rock and roll. Yeah. So if I listed what Steve did, we would take up the entire podcast. So I'll summarize it. Steve's a, the founder and CEO of Weatherology. He's an author. He's a podcast host. He's a speaker. We've got a plethora of things that we're going to go into. But Steve, I want us to, to go back to the beginning, uh, right before Weatherology. Fill everybody in. What were you doing before starting Weatherology? Yeah, I was a major market uh, television weather anchor, believe it or not, Ben. A quick, uh, brief period in North Carolina where I cut my teeth and then wound up in Minneapolis at age 21. At the time, I was the youngest weather anchor ever in America in a major market, top 15 market. So it was an enormous responsibility, and uh, it happened to be in my hometown. So being on TV in front of all your family and friends and millions of other people um, taught me from a very early age with anxiety quite quickly. But uh, that experience quickly led to the inspiration behind my business. And I simultaneously started Weatherology, which at the time was known as the Weather Eye Radio Network. While I was on TV, which was essentially doing weather updates for local radio stations and quickly discovered there was a massive need. And uh, it was a personality driven type delivery, which the radio market welcomed uh, because most other weather folks at the time with the background like mine were kind of stale. So from that day until the present, I've been running that business and we've grown exponentially every year ever since, which is now 37 years ago. Yeah. So you had mentioned starting it, seeing that there was a massive need, but what, even before that, what prompted you to start it in the first place? You saw the need after you started getting it going, but what, what made you pull that trigger and start it in the first place? Well, I came from a radio background, Ben. My mom and dad owned radio stations when I was growing up. So I did my first radio show when I was 15 years old, an overnight show on a local AM radio station in Buffalo, Minnesota. And then my dad was also the GM at WCCO Radio, which at the time was the number one billing AM radio station in the country. Um, 50,000 watt AM with a massive signal. Weather was a critical part of the programming they provided. They had three at the time full-time 
full-time meteorologist on staff. And I was always fascinated by how they handled that, but also felt that could be a need that could be outsourced by a competent crew that could basically provide that service for smaller and medium market stations around the country. And because of access to satellite equipment and various other new technologies at the time, I had this uh, innovation in my mind that we could deliver that programming in a way that made sound quality comparable to in-studio quality that most of these stations were accustomed to, despite the limitations of phone lines at the time, which was the primary method for delivering programming outside the local market area. So everything just kind of fell into place. I guess I was put in a position at an early age based on my experience to understand the broadcasting business and uh, recognize that there was an opportunity there. And there clearly was because we built upon that for almost four decades now. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it was that strange crossroads, right? So you had the, the parents that owned businesses or owned uh, radio stations. So they had, you had entrepreneurship in your life. You saw opportunity, you had your experience on the broadcast and all that comes together to create, to create this. Um, when you were growing up and having that, that entrepreneurship um, as a model, how involved were, were you with that? Did you, did you see them uh, running businesses? Did they talk to you at all about that? What did that look like for you? Well, as you know, considering both my mom and dad were involved yeah. in the business, of course, those conversations at the dinner table transpired on a weekly basis. And uh, my mom happened to be kind of the ambassador of the business. She was this gregarious, wonderful woman. Both my parents are gone, incidentally. So if I talk about them in the past tense, that's why. But um, my mom was this wonderful person in the community and she was heavily involved. My dad was the consummate salesperson, arguably one of the best salespeople ever in the radio business. And um, obviously had a tremendous business acumen, incredibly smart, one of the wisest people I've ever met, fortunate to have him as a mentor. So I was exposed to that. And, um, you know, that makes a big difference. As you fellas know, I mean, we can't ignore the fact that our environmental upbringing makes an enormous impact and having two loving, remarkable parents, despite what popular nomenclature would like you to believe today, which is a narrative completely inconsistent with that, um, families matter and uh, a positive male and female influence is critically important to an impressionable young mind. And I had the luxury of two people that were distinctly different contributing to my early development. It makes a huge difference. And I was blessed. You know, one of the things that I love so much about you, Steve, is you just have this infectious personality of just gratitude. It, it just exudes from you. And even when we've had some one-on-one -on -one conversations off, off of LinkedIn, but on, on the phone, it, it just came across as well. So I just want to say thank you for that because you are making a difference. Um, and so I want to go back into the weather part, you know, like, okay, so you had radio and, you know, weather in Kansas, where I'm from, like that's... <laughs> Big every day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> every day and growing up with farmers as uh grandparents they listened to you know the the commodities report on kfdi which was a big radio station in, in wichita kansas that had a big reach as well but we we're listening to the markets and listen to the weather all the time because everything 
was, you know, their livelihood existed and was dependent upon the weather and they had no control over it. You know, they could only control like, what am I going to do when I know that hail is coming, you know, and sometimes you can't even do anything like that. So talk to us a little bit more about how you kind of fell in love with that. No, great question, Gary. And we have 78 stations across Kansas now of our 1600 stations we serve nationwide. So I consider um, the Corn Belt, the Midwest, the Super Bowl of weather, I affectionately call it. And I was kind of, you know, nurtured in that place, Minnesota, very much like Kansas, you know, we're exposed to the extremes much more so here as far as winter is concerned, and probably more so in Kansas as far as inclement summertime uh, time weather is concerned with tornadic activity and severe thunderstorms prevalent on a daily basis. And um, so, you know, I was enamored with that growing up with you know, two feet of snow one day and 50 mile an hour winds and blizzard conditions that would shut everything down and then tornado activity in the summer. So much like yourself, I developed this natural fascination and appreciation and respect, you know, for mother nature. And that curiosity kind of swelled into me reaching out when I was a senior in college at St. Thomas University to the local TV weather anchor here in Minneapolis at CARE 11, who I to this day still believe is probably the best television weather anchor I've ever personally experienced. And I reached out and I said, I'd love to come in, do an informational interview and share with you my thoughts about getting into this profession. And uh, that was a rare call because obviously getting through to those people was very difficult. And um, he invited me in for what was supposed to be a 10 minute informational interview. And it turned into a three hour conversation where I essentially offered my services for free as an intern. And I did that for two years, uh, 40, 50 hours a week, not getting paid. And as we all know, very few people want to do that. Most young people today want the six figure salary right now. Don't want to put any time effort into anything. I would literally go get this guy's car when it was raining, get him coffee, do all sorts of things. Actually worked as his personal trainer. You know, he told me one time I want to get in shape. I said, I'll do that happily for you. Let's get some gear and I'll kick your ass at your house. And, um, and so the phone rang one day, two years into this internship and the guy in the other line, I could hear playing his day. Hey, Paul, I need a weather anchor here. Do you know anybody? And he handed me the phone. He said, yeah, he's right here. And if you don't hire him, I'm going to be pissed off. Boom. And that was my first job. I did that job for 400 bucks a month. Took me 12 hours a day to make my own weather maps, uh, tape my own graphics, and then do a two minute show at night, one night per week. It took like 10 hours of production time. So again, you know, people see me today and the lifestyle I live and it's like, you're lucky that car. I want one like that. I want a boat like that someday. It's like, I bet you do. Most, most people do, but you have no idea what it took to get to the point where I'm able to live like this and have a beautiful life for myself. That includes six hours a day of self-care. So uh, as you know, we all have humble beginnings and it's because of that Gary and Ben that I've been able on this journey to maintain a level perspective on how quickly things can change and how fortunate we are. If we have that mindset, that drive, that focus, that determination, that 
resolve that very few people have. And many people mistakenly believe that it's the academic pedigree or the credentials, or I went to Harvard, that stuff means nothing. I know people that went to school at some of the finest business schools in the world, and there's no way in hell they could ever run a business because they just don't have the acumen, the financial aptitude, all the other skills you need to have to pull it all together. So you mentioned that fortuitous phone call of some getting through somebody says, yeah, kid, I'll give you 10 minutes, gives you more than that. But you came with batteries installed. That's one of the first things I always look for in candidates. And you can tell within like literally, I think 30 seconds, does someone come with batteries installed do they come with fire in the belly and kind of a giddy up and ready to go and without excuses and without, you know, uh, expectations? The fact that you did an unpaid internship for two years, first of all, most people want paid. And I, I went through unpaid inter internships, too. <laughs> and so, again, not everybody will do that. My son, who's a shoe designer, worked for Puma unpaid internship. And, and he's like, dad, it's going to really wreck with my classes. I said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, I can't afford this and that. I said, don't worry about it. Sure enough. I mean, Reebok was ready to call him, you know, and they called him as soon as he graduated, which was awesome. But there's something about one, somebody recognizing talent married with that person that has talent that has fire in the belly and a willingness to work and be teachable. That is a winning combination and you are living proof of that. Um, how are you, like how has that experience transformed or how have you applied that with, within your own company and how, how you hire people? Such a great observation and such great insight, Gary. Um, but then again, we all know you're a very wise man, so that doesn't surprise me. But uh, for me personally, um, you know, it really is one of the talents that I have that I believe I've been blessed with, which is the ability to recognize in somebody almost instantaneously uh, who has the ability to turn something they don't even realize they have into something materialized that we can leverage for everybody's benefit. And I've been blessed to be able to do that with all of my key leaders. And that provides me with the ability to focus on very little every week and allow my teams to operate without impunity or constant oversight. And we find it amusing as friends of ours send us screenshots of their endless Zoom calls people have been having for the past two years during this pandemic situation and the amount of time wasted, squandered on meaningless meetings that serve no practical purpose except to frustrate people that could be doing something far more creative and productive if you just left them alone. And that's what I do. I find people that are incredibly talented and I provide them with a promise that I'll give them the opportunity to operate without impunity which is a high trust commitment predicated on the idea that if in fact you stumble, um, that's okay. But if you maliciously take advantage of my good nature, we're done. You know, so the expectations are spelled out very clearly. And I can promise you almost every single time unequivocally, those people surpass expectations by 
taking full advantage of the trust and the respect that I give them and using that because they want to prove to me that they're deserving of that. And they want to be a part of an organization that rewards people with the ability to have a life that they kind of design within the context of a job that gives them purpose, meaning, which they can create and define. And I truly believe that's critically important and regrettably something we see very little of because I believe personally, most leaders, managers operate with the assumption that somebody's going to screw them over, take advantage of them. And so there's this perception that somehow, some way down the line, they're going to be the recipient of somebody's dishonesty. And when you operate from that perspective, almost every time you get exactly what you hoped for, which is a person that takes advantage of you, screws you over because there's no respect. They don't even like you. Um, so I've been blessed. And I think you're the same way, Gary. You just know how to recognize good people. We have those qualities. Look at yourself. You're in your upper 50s. You look like a beast for crying out loud. You know, I can always tell when I see somebody, it's like they're living a life outside of work that's consistent with the mindset of success that applies to every aspect of their life. And I know in your case as well, you know, you take your relationship with your kids and your wife and everything seriously. So when I meet somebody like that, I already know they've done all the hard work. They just need a little nudge maybe in the direction of how to divine that uh, professional ebullience that's within them that nobody's taken the time to help them figure out. So Steve, you brought up an amazing point there and Gary's the epitome of this, right? Of living, living a purposeful life outside of work as well. Um, talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit about your evolution of starting a, as a young entrepreneur. How did you grow a business while also maintaining self-prioritizing outside as well? What did that look like for you? What struggles did you have? How did that evolve? Yeah, and that's such a great question too, Ben, because we're a 365 day a year, seven day a week, 24 hour a day operation. Right. The Weather doesn't take the day off. <laughs> yeah, I did most of it myself. So every radio station during an event like this wanted me on the air now and whenever they wanted me on the air 24 hours a day and I was available. But, you know, much like Gary, and I'm not sure, Ben, I don't know you. I haven't had the pleasure of getting to know you uh, with the exception of this conversation, but health for me has been everything. I was a professional kickboxer when I was 15 years old. So health has been a critical part of my life. I refuse to give up my workouts and I worked out seven days a week and still do. I've got a torn bicep tendon right now and I'm doing workouts that most people would never even imagine doing with an injury like this. And uh, the people that are helping me through the therapy, it's only a week old and I'm doing high volume workouts. I always figure out a way, you know, running more than I usually do. And um, so for me, the workouts every single day were non-negotiable. And that oftentimes meant up at 2 a.m. running in the middle of the night when it's 50 below zero. We're doing a workout uh, at the gym when nobody's there because that was top priority, knowing full well that it's that mental toughness, that energy that I get from my commitment to health that helps sustain the enthusiasm, energy that I have in every other aspect of my life. So for me, for decades, no exaggeration, I slept two, hour, or two hours during the day and two hours at night, broken sleep. And people always want to chastise me for that. Like, oh, how do you do that? It's like, you guys know me. I'm 57 years old. If you've got a fraction of the energy I have, I'd love to hear how your 12 hours of napping continuously around the day help you somehow gain some advantage over me. I'll go sit out in a lake this December, cut a hole in the ice and lay in it for 10 minutes when most people would dunk their toe in and head for the hills. And it's because I've trained myself mentally to be able to do what I got to do to get what I got to get done without forfeiting time with my family, my kids and being there for my team. But 
I did hire people along the way. And thank goodness I was able to recognize, Ben, that I needed to have good people to help me do what I wanted to do. And I learned to let go at a relatively young age so that I could find these people to take over a very demanding operation, which I had no desire to run personally because I'm not an operational person. So just so you know, Steve, um, Ben owns a CrossFit box. Yes, I know. He's I also that. a CrossFitter. <laughs> and, and, and he had he sold his first company when he was 24. So um, and he, he also runs. Yeah, he uh, completely gets it. I do. And, uh, <laughs> I've three, three sports yeah. in college, getting a master's, being an athletic director, running a business, things in the air. Like I completely resonate with what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I figured if you're running with this guy, there's got to be a common denominator there. But you guys get it. I'm, I mean, I'm telling you both things you already know. And maybe I articulate it differently. And maybe how we've lived that realization is a little different. But it's really a common theme you find with most high achievers is there's a commitment there to things that the average person refuses to do because it's incredibly demanding. But I gave up everything, you know, in favor of focusing on the things that I truly believed mattered most to me. I didn't party, didn't drink, didn't go to happy hour, the twins game, you know, let's go hang out and party until two in the morning. No. So I gave up all those things mm -hmm. in favor of committing myself to the one thing I knew would offer me the greatest amount of life satisfaction. And anybody that denies that a rewarding career that compensates you highly and having a beautiful family and health, I'm telling you, just little things like this, as you know, I mean, these little injuries just remind you of how close we are on the precipice to losing the one thing that matters more than anything. And like Gary said, gratitude is everything. I'm just like, Lord, thank you. I mean, I got this injury, but I'm still going to run. I'm still going to do high volume leg workouts. I'm still going to do my back because it doesn't cause impingement there. I can do almost everything except chest and shoulders. So I'm going to do everything except chest and shoulders. You know, yeah. I'm not going to lay around, take ibuprofen and sleep for 10 hours a day because yeah. the doctor said, you got to get your rest. It's like, move your body. We're meant to move. Yeah. So yeah, go for it. You're good, Gary. No, I was just going to say that's, that's another thing that you and I have in common. <laughs> I tore my bicep. Uh, Holy cow. Is that a leg? Basically. <laughs> I tore my bicep <laughs> trying to learn how to wake surf and, um, and I, I didn't do it right. And I put too much tension on my bicep and I tore it. And I went from being able to curl like a 105 pound dumbbell to where literally it was like five pound, <laughs> literally. Um, but I was like, you know what? All right. What can I do? Which is exactly what you're doing. What can I do? And I chose not to do the surgery. It wasn't a full Popeye, but if you can see a chunk of my bicep is gone, but I just did my full Murph today with the with the vest and it took me about almost a year but slowly gradually building back up but it's that mindset that you've talked about which is okay what can i do that meant, what that mentality can't i do that you're you're both talking about that mentality right of you you're hit with an obstacle and it's not the defeatist mentality of woe was me i'm gonna take ibuprofen and watch netflix it's okay, this is a priority in my life. For the example you guys are talking about right now, it's fitness. 
you have the hurdle of not being able to use a part of your body. What can you do instead to still get the things that are most important? I think that mentality is, is everything. It really has been. And I'll tell you the evolution of what transpired since this just happened a week ago, Gary, it sounds like you tore your short bicep tendon. I tore the long one attaches up into your shoulder up here so it, it involves more of my shoulder thankfully not my rotary cuff so the first day i was pissed because guys like us that operate at the speed of light don't want to slow down so i was angry for a day and just like okay and then the next day all my energy went toward what can i do what am i going to do and i did it i had to take responsibility i was doing weighted pull-ups with 45 pounds dumbbells around my waist and pulling on my bicep which i was engaging more on my shoulder and then pretty soon it was okay i had an old kickboxing injury from um, on my elbow from when I used to fight. So I was using more of my shoulder and the, the doctors that I went to are, are focused on helping athletes prevent surgery. So they help you now understand how this injury evolved. And they said it would have been much worse had this not happened, which was a minor tear. So it's a blessing. I'm grateful. Yeah. And that's how I look at everything. Like Ben said, I'm maneuvering around it. Same thing in business. And we all saw how so many companies really struggled with adapting to this most recent crisis, which required working remotely. I've been letting my staff work remotely for 20 years. So we literally flipped the switch in six hours and everybody was working remotely. We've created artificial intelligence and smart learning 16 years ago before Amazon and Google did. And so we are completely automated. And so we're already thinking about the next catastrophe, you know, and it's coming some way, somehow, some form. And so I think if you're just prepared for those things and never get too comfortable, I reside somewhere between paranoia and extreme optimism every single minute of the day. And that ability to never take anything for granted, assume my good fortune is going to last indefinitely, always inspires me to think on my feet and contemplate any eventuality that may have adverse effects on my business. You know, Steve, you've talked recently on your habits and what you're doing, but you, you've also talked before of the, the personal journey you're embarking on of helping others improve that, that quality of life. When, what mindset shift changed for you to have that be all internalized of how do I make sure I prioritize myself to how now can I translate that and help others do the same thing that I've been doing for so many years? Yeah, I mean, just great questions, you guys, and I appreciate it. It's, it's well thought out. But for me, you know, I had been practicing this stuff since I was 15. And quite candidly, up until the time I was 50, you know, I was at a point where business was great. I put myself in a remarkable position. I love to travel. The thought occurred to me, maybe I'll just kick back, spend six months out of the year traveling wherever I feel like it, go to the Maldives and do my thing. Then I realized um, you know, I have an obligation to share what I know, what I've been blessed with. And then my father passed away and men can certainly appreciate that have been through that. That's a monumental event in your life, leaves a lasting impression. And my dad was incredibly gifted and shared with me everything he knew. And I felt compelled to do the same thing because I know there's a lot of men out there that are struggling. And it's a conversation that we seldom have because men are strong and stoic or supposed to be, but they're under attack right now, as everybody can clearly see. And they're suffering. If you look at the research, young men in particular feel lost and disoriented and they're being told that they're toxic and unimportant and that, you know, they have no value, which is a sad um, testimony to a 
how deviant some folks can be in their efforts to try to uh, reduce people. But anyway, I regress. So my point is there's a lot of people that need to hear what we talk about. And so I feel compelled to use my platform to encourage these people because I'm a believer, regardless of what religion you practice, what your sexual orientation is, what your race is, anybody can succeed. And I've mentored young black men for 30 years. So when I see this disingenuous discourse all over social media, you know, patronizing people with platitudes, I say to myself, what have you ever done to help a young person came from a gang in Chicago become a PhD and the winningest wrestling coach in America, which is one of my protégés? And I know it's possible. I mean, you can't even imagine some of these kids that I've walked with since they were 14 years old. So when I see people out there telling them the world's this and everybody hates you because of your skin color, I happen to know from personal experience that you can either believe that or you can believe that there's good people out there eager to help and you have to be somewhat willing to be receptive to that conversation, regardless of what color they are, what orientation they may have in whatever aspect of their life. And when you get those blinders off and you start to view the world through a prism of, um, you know, accepting people where they are based on what they're dealing with, it's, it's incredible how you benefit because you're giving assiduously. And when you see people grow and develop and become their very best, it's a rewarding thing, probably one of the most rewarding things in life, quite honestly. So this is going to be a weird question, completely out of left field. So brace yourself. <laughs> That's a great preface, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one of the things that I've struggled with and what was interesting to me is I started coaching other CEOs back in, since 98, but um many of them, all of them that confided in me that kind of really dropped their guard would often say something like, Gary, I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm in over mm. my head. Okay. And the light bulb went off for me a little over a year ago when a woman who has 10,000 W2 employees that I was coaching, she said, Gary, I don't know what I'm doing. I said, are you kidding me? And she said, I only have a two-year secretarial degree. And I said, Tana, you are one of the most amazing people and leaders I've ever known. I can't believe it. And it, it hit me, imposter syndrome, right? That's what it is. I'm in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just curious. Did Have you ever dealt with that? And maybe not, but I'm just curious. No, I haven't. And uh, I don't say that with any degree of arrogance, but I was small. Uh, I'm 5'7", 150 pounds. So when I was a 10th grader in high school, I was good enough to make the varsity hockey team. And the hockey coach took me aside and said, Steve, I got to be honest, you know, you're good enough to play on the varsity, but the coaching staff is concerned you're going to get hurt because you're so much smaller than everybody else. And I said, if that's the only thing preventing you from having me suit up, I said, I got great news for you. You should be more concerned about the other folks because I'm a savage and I don't care how big you are, but I will be aggressive and, and give my heart every time I play. And, and so that's kind of the attitude I always encountered when I was growing up is underestimated. 
because of my stature. And so uh-huh. I learned from an early age that, and it wasn't some attitude predicated on, I'm going to show you. It wasn't inspired by that at all. More I got to show myself and I have to earn everything I get because everybody's just assuming I just don't have that additional, you know, tenacity necessary to pull it off based on what they see externally. So that just, and my mom was amazing, Gary and Ben. She was such a remarkable woman and made me feel genuinely confident despite those physical limitations in sports. And so I've always had this genuine confidence. And that's why I talk about it so much because there is a big difference between confidence and arrogance. So many people deal with these imposter issues and that's oftentimes where it starts. And it's done innocently. I don't think people do it maliciously. They just try so hard to convince themselves that I'm this capable, confident person. So that becomes their external dialogue. But the internal dialogue is more indicative of the one you would hear, Gary, when you would have these confidential discussions where people feel comfortable enough to reveal these things to you. And I hear the same thing. I'm not coaching or doing any of that, but I have people reach out to me constantly. People from Fortune 100 companies, almost in tears. And I don't know what to do. I feel like they're going to find out at some point that I'm so dumb. And I sit there because these people are so smart, so competent, so capable. And I'm just mystified how somebody like that could even feel these things because I can't relate. I really can't. And at the same time, I don't overestimate my abilities. Never have. That's why I surround myself with so many incredible people. That's why I told you I delegated the operation almost 30 years ago. You know why? Because I'm no good at it. I'm not an operational guy. I'm not an engineer, you know? So I hired a person that's an audio engineer that's great with people that took over the entire operation. I have a development team of people I've cultivated over the years that have created this audio API now, which is the only audio API in the world that takes real human voice and translates text in real time, which is like serial X on steroids. And the guy that created it, 12 years ago came to me and said, Steve, I just don't want to be a meteorologist anymore. I think I want to program. I said, go program, go home and program, get some books, teach yourself how to program. I'll pay you a salary, figure it out. Took him two years and he figured it out. But I've always believed in people like that because I know a lot of people wrestle with these things. And if you're not a business owner that knows how to mentor, coach and cultivate talent, you're screwed. You're screwed because that's the one thing people need more than anything. Well, how did you go? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. Um, One of the things I heard there is you're, you're giving permission to people that have the self-awareness of this isn't what I want out of my life. I want something else, but, but you're giving them that permission to go pursue it. You have, you have this one life. Don't waste your time doing things that you're not happy with, especially if you've got the self-awareness to know that that's not, what's fulfilling for you. Um, yeah, and that's, it's, it's, it's so true, Ben. I mean, yeah, I mean, you just, you know, when you have a, a group of people that are comfortable enough to have those discussions if, yeah. as a leader, you're not prepared to be able to have that conversation yourself because you lack self-awareness or emotional intelligence. It's a lost opportunity. And that's why 85% of all people today reveal in studies that they're dissatisfied with their job. And it's oftentimes because leaders lack the real skills necessary to think on their feet and identify an opportunity to benefit everybody. And that's what I've always done is I let people tell me, you know, we had a gal two years ago, 
um, just got married, mid-20s, came to us in tears. My husband has stage four cancer. I don't know what to do. I feel like my life's falling apart. And we all said, well, the good news is we're not going anywhere. We're going to pay you to stay at home, focus on your husband, take as much time off as you need. You know, I've had so many things like this happen. If you just like relate to people, like how would I want to be treated? You know, if I was in a similar situation and if you don't have that empathy, compassion and self-awareness, you know, you're just, you know, you're just doing what a lot of business people do. I want to make money, want to run a company, really not genuinely interested in people. They say they are, but a lot of these folks just aren't. You, we were both tracking in the same thing. So I'm sorry I interrupted you, uh, Ben. It's, it's funny how it kind of works that way sometimes, but and I'm usually one stepping on his toes. um, But this whole thing of self-awareness and, you know, how did you develop that? And what are things that listeners can do to improve that self-awareness? Yeah, I mean, well, to be honest with you, Gary, I mean, keep in mind, I started my business when I was 21. And I can assure you at that point in my life, you wouldn't want to work for me if your life depended on it. Because I was a raging entrepreneur. It was my way or no way. Had no tolerance for mistakes. I was a perfectionist, driven beyond belief. Still am, but I've domesticated that. And, um, And so working for me was virtually impossible. Now, I hired a person five, six years into that journey, which had the ability to work with people and to hire and fire with dignity and class and, um, you know, see the very best in people that allowed me to focus on the things that I do without being distracted by things that I wasn't that good at. At the same time, it's a journey, you know, I'm in my upper fifties now and have kids and go through life and experience loss and you learn to take this responsibility seriously. So I'm a prolific reader. I probably read 60, 70 books a year. And whenever I'm fascinated with a subject, I'll dive deep into that subject. And I've taught myself over the years to take these things seriously. Ironically, my dad was talking about emotional intelligence 35 years ago when there was maybe one book on the subject. And that's how bright and way ahead of his time he was on things like this. So again, that sparked a curiosity. And I started to really appreciate how emotions factor in to so much of what we do and how few people truly understand the implications of that. Most people are more designed to use what they believe is intelligence, you know, measured by how well you do in school. And so that's a system of rewards and punishment that rewards people that do well, do what they're told, regurgitate the obvious. And so they oftentimes venture off into business situations because those people are rewarded in corporate America because that's the kind of person they're looking for. And they treat people with the same level of, you know, insensitivity, for lack of a better description. So unless you're operating, and I know you both do the same thing, and we've seen the past couple of years, why it's so important to have a critically rational brain that allows you to step back, take a deep breath and look at things from a bigger vantage point and say, what the hell is really going on here? What do I need to dig deeper into to understand how this seems strange to me? That's my intuition. That's my emotions talking to me. 
and, and dig deeper into finding real facts, not selective science to try to ascertain what the truth is. And it's the same thing with human beings. It's like, if you don't take the time with each individual to understand how they operate, and most people don't, because that's a huge investment, then it's a lost opportunity. So Steve, I know we have a hard stop for you. So I want to make sure we're respecting that, but I want you to dive in a little bit and share with the listeners. You have something called the four tenets of equanimity and and it's right along the lines of what we've been talking about for the last 15, 20 minutes. Can you share with the listeners of what, what that is and, and what that means in your eyes? Yeah, that's my personal brand called anatomy of success. And I try to help people understand how I operate by focusing on four simple categories that I call my four tenets of equanimity that I know for a fact can elevate happiness and life satisfaction. If you practice tiny things in those areas each and every day, which are all things we can control, few choices we make, establish habits and routines consistent with things in life that psychology and science have supported for centuries make a difference in people's sense of joy and happiness and that's satisfying work and some people like to argue with that like oh work isn't that important it's a means to an end well if that's your attitude it's going to be a means to an end and you're going to be miserable and you're going to be that person that gets up on monday morning hates their life hates their job and you can't wait for friday so you can let loose and raise hell so that's your that's what you're setting yourself up to do and if you want to do that it's your prerogative god bless you i hope it works i can promise you it's a dead-end street i'd rather get up on monday like i do I'm so excited. This is going to be a fantastic week. You know, meaningful work, substantive work. And you can do that if you have a creative place to be able to express yourself. A lot of people don't, but you want to move in that direction. And then health, which is everything. And really the most important one, and both of you understand this unequivocally, mental, physical health. I spend hours a day. I mean, these videos that I do, I, I walk hours a day. When I'm on vacation, it's not uncommon for me to walk four, five, six hours a day. No exaggeration. Miles and miles and miles. On top of intense workouts, uh, yoga, meditation, writing, reading. I do that stuff every day, five, six hours a day. Seven days a week. I'm up at 3.30, seven days a week. So if you don't take your mental and physical health seriously, you're going to be like so many people were this past couple of years towering as the threat of something out there is threatening your health instead of I'm taking my health in my own hands and I'm not going to worry about everything out there that could conceivably affect me. And when you have an attitude like that, your immune system responds in a very positive way. And it's funny how you have a much healthier, more optimistic, positive outlook on life. The other two categories healthy relationships with family, friends, and that requires being incredibly selective about who those people are. So we surround ourselves with extraordinary people, and that may come at the expense sometimes of saying no to family, setting firm boundaries, and certainly eliminating people that are not along for the ride. And then healthy, intimate relationships, whatever that is for you, whatever that intimate relationship looks like for you, if you're going to do it, my advice, do it like Gary does, do it well, take it seriously and find the greatest amount of joy you can in that relationship where you're just going to be a statistic like so many people. Beautiful. Um, for the listeners that have listened to any of the previous episodes, if you've been paying attention, 
there is a common theme across every one of our guests, every one of them, humility, drive, voracious readers and learners. So whether you're audio book, book listener or reader yourself, just that, that penchant for learning. One other thing that I'm curious about, because you said, man, I could relate to that. I was, I was so driven in, as a young entrepreneur um, I ran over people un unintentionally. I just didn't know. I was so stinking focused and I couldn't understand why everybody else wasn't, you know, so um, yep. bad, you know, I, I wish I could rewind the tape on some of those experiences, but, you know, you had mentioned um, a, a couple times different people in your life. Are you part of peer groups or do you like who who speaks into your life or you don't have to name names but do you have others that also speak into your life yeah i mean i have a close group of friends that are all highly intelligent capable successful competent people um and um they're all wise and they all contribute my kids to be honest with you gary my best friends you know i just went down visited my daughter for four days we do all sorts of things together. I travel with my kids, my son and his wife. We spend two weeks every December going someplace new as a family. And my kids are so smart, so wise, so driven, intelligent. You know, I just love spending time with them. My son and I usually play golf every Wednesday. Today I can't because of the shoulder. So he's with my nephew today. But I spend a lot of time with them. And I've got some great friends that, you know, we just... Uh, the kind of friends you want to have in life, quite honestly. And it doesn't, you know, there's no prerequisite as far as, you know, what their success is. They're successful in my eyes because of how they live their life with mm -hmm. a commitment to whatever work they do, their family, their health. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate in that regard. And there's plenty of people that uh, inspire me. You know, one of the best things about being on LinkedIn is I've met so many great people like you, Gary, that are, you know, just so, uh, smart and intelligent and focused and driven. And I'm just amazed at how many really wonderful people there are out there. And I, and I do gain inspiration from those people. And they remind me every day that I'm not alone on this journey. And there's plenty of other people doing incredible things. And it's like you, Ben, I can tell already, you know, it's just, it's nice to be surrounded by people like that because um, sometimes you do feel like you're on an Island and you see how many people reach out to you that are suffering and hurting and uh, it just kind of reinforces my desire to continue to do what I'm doing because I'm, I'm amazed at how many people are just really, really hurting right now, mentally, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, thank you so much for sharing. Um, for people that, that want to learn more about Steve or hear more of him from talking or reading, which I highly suggest you do, check out his podcast, Anatomy of Success, and his book with the same title, Anatomy of Success. Go try and follow him on LinkedIn. You'll be one of over 142,000 people following him. So I think you'll be in good company there. But uh, Steve, anywhere else that you want to send people, want them to check you out? Yeah, I mean, they can always go to weatherology.com. That's my yep. company website. You'll find the Weatherology mobile app. It's free under About Us at the top links to not only LinkedIn, but Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and we do some stuff on TikTok now, believe it or not. We um, basically just do some short videos, nothing silly. I'm not dancing. I'm not trying to keep it <laughs> just little inspirational things. And I'm finding there's an audience of young people that appreciate it. It's great. Yeah. Well, perfect. Thank you so much, Steve. We yep. appreciate sharing.